Are you an advocate for civil rights? Do you believe the eradication of racism is a must in America? Are you ready for action in the fight against racial inequities, social injustices, and the inequality of opportunity for blacks and people of color in America? If any of this struck a chord with you, the Who Cares About Justice podcast is your answer. You're listening to the Who Cares About Justice podcast, a conversation aimed to inform, impact, and inspire every listener as an impetus to action and empowerment to see a better America. Join our host, Mr. Mark C. McGuire Sr. on the 28th of every month. Subscribe, rate, review, and tell a friend. God bless and peace. Be still. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. This is your host, Mark C. McGuire Sr. of the Who Cares About Justice podcast. The the Who Cares About Justice podcast is a podcast about creating conversation and evolving empowerment around the experience of inequality and injustice and inequity of Black people and people of color around America. This podcast is intended to inform, impact, and inspire. In other words, we want to get to you what you need to know and ways to respond. We believe that conversation is the impetus to relationships and relationships should cultivate both action and power. We know that there's a hot topic about the plight of black men and women and people of color in America. So it's our job, we believe, to bring balance and information that will help us to bring equality and equity and justice in our society. Even for women, Abigail Adams, who was a advocate for uh, against slavery, who believed that it was both evil and a threat to the American democratic experiment, said, do not forget about the women, for within our hearts also burns a passion for justice. So again, during these episodes, we believe that it's our job to bring historical data, to bring real-time occurrences, to bring current events, marketplace impact, and even personal stories to to the forefront and to the light as we champion the cause against the violation of what we call the Imago Dei for every born individual. The CARES Justice Institute, the vision is to eradicate racism, to address injustices, inequities, and inequalities of opportunity for every born American citizen, especially those who are black and people of color. We believe, as our guest today has been quoted in saying, you can't change what you don't confront and you will not confront until you're convicted within. And so we're excited about these opportunities to stand in for all those individuals who've had to deal with and fight against systemic, personal, institutional, and even structural racism. We believe racism is defined as such prejudice, discrimination and antagonism of one race group over another by way of superiority and with the ability, intention and or desire to exclude, oppress or to cause injury. So who cares about justice? Well, we do. Why? Because humanity is a right. And we believe and many have said that the system is not broken but it's built with the intent of prejudice and preferential treatment, violating genuine and authentic civil rights. And so something has to be done. Has there been progress in America? So these podcasts speak to some of these things and hopefully are helping to answer some of these questions. 
questions like were law enforcement and the judicial system designed as the extension of a system that could not stand against the reconstruction amendments of the 19th century and have disguised the disgust of the Jim Crow laws. Things like police brutality, things like economic inequality and inequity, things like the educational system being broken, things like hatred and hate crimes that don't go um, addressed as they should and in a timely manner. So all these things become a part of the human experience in America. But it is Black History Month, and we do have some civil rights leaders who had some great things to say. Two quotes that I think have always held true within my heart are, number one, that time is always right to do what is right. And the second one, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And so today we have someone with us that has been a general uh, inside what we call the church, what we believe is the body of Christ. And so today we're going to hear his voice. We're going to hear the voice that that helps to uh, bring peace and and calm to turbulent situations, a voice that has helped people navigate uh, in their walk on planet Earth. And so we believe that there's something that needs to be said from the church, from the body of Christ, from a local fellowship, from a pastor that helps us to understand justice from a, a viewpoint that is biblical. We believe that there is a biblical lens that should guide each and every one of us. And who cares about justice is that type of organization, that type of organism, that type of institution. Our, our guest today is the founder and bishop, senior pastor and CEO of the Potter's House International Ministries. 35 years will be celebrated in June of this year, 2023. It's an externally focused ministry, uh, a mega church by definition and a mega church by impact here in the Jacksonville, Florida area and around the world. Multi-generational, multicultural, multi-ethnic, and having impact, as I said before, around the world. Nearly 200 employees between the church and the Community Development Empowering Center that houses the Kingdom Mall Plaza with uh, businesses such as a world-class fitness center known as Temple Builders, a uh, PBA uh, approved bowling center called Kingpins, a business center, a banquet center, and everyone knows around the world, including Steve Harvey and Cat Williams about the Soul Food Bistro on both the West and the South sides of Jacksonville. It houses many businesses and, and office hubs, a barbershop, beauty salon, nursing school, a bakery, daycare, uh, wealth watchers helping with housing, and of course, cure violence on the West Side. He also oversees Covenant Fellowship International. Uh, he's a regular speaker around the world, and he is a trainer, a teacher, a mentor, a spiritual father. To me, all of those things in a tremendous capacity. He covers uh, major Christian churches. He's been on the cover of every major Christian magazine, including a cover story on the Wall Street Journal, as I remember, named or penned Holy Cappuccino. He's be received the Jim Moran Entrepreneur uh, of the Year Award. Uh, a plethora of boards and committees have asked him to sit and to hear his voice as he helps to guide them uh, through their vision and mission. He's done that around the world, including with the CARES Justice Institute. Uh, most importantly, he is a husband, a father, a grandfather, an uncle and a friend and servant, 
So now I would like to introduce to some and present to others, no one else but Bishop Dr. Von M. McLaughlin. Welcome, Bishop, to the Who Cares About Justice podcast. Well, thanks for having me, Mark. Good to be here. I have no idea what all that introduction was about, but I'm here to serve. Yes, sir. Well, we, we wanted to make sure that uh, those that would be listening around the world and uh, definitely in different cities really knew who was on today. We have been, had some prestigious individuals here with us, uh, but I think that uh, uh, the voice that has been uh, very uh, pertinent in my life is here with us today. Uh, someone who has inspired me to do anything that has been positive over the last 15 to 20 years. Uh, it's been you, and I'm, I'm appreciative to have you here with us today, sir. Well, of course, I'm appreciative to be here and for the work that's being done uh, through Cure Violence and uh, what we're doing here with the podcast and people to uh, be aware and, and not to um, use a coined phrase of being woke uh, uh, or being even uh, operating from a victim standpoint, but to just know what's going on and just be aware of the realities of our times and be aware of the history and to be aware because if we don't know where we come from, we have no idea where we're going. And I think these type of forums and these type of podcasts simply educate, equip people and empower people to be the best that they can be to have a society that can network and work together as best we can. I don't think we'll ever change everything that there is. We're gonna to have to endure it, but we can endure it peaceably and we can endure it with the right frame of mind. And uh, as a pastor, you know, my job is to uh, basically bring the attention and the glory and the credit um, to God and to pull on the God of peace, the God of order, the God of justice. The Bible says that God is a God of justice and all his ways, the Bible says in Deuteronomy, are justice and that he is a faithful God who does no wrong and upright and just as he. So um, I am for justice. I am for fairness. I am for equitable treatment of people, regardless of their race, creed or color. And so I'm glad you invited me on. I'm looking forward to the discussion and let's see what will happen. And Bishop, you kind of alluded to it, but just uh, maybe informally or formally, uh, you're a very educated man in the scriptures and, and in the world. Uh, we, we hear this word justice. It's kind of getting thrown around everywhere now. And every time we look up, it's justice for different causes and, and different niches in community. Uh, when we talk about justice and from your viewpoint and from your lens, what, what does justice mean? How do we define justice? Well, justice can be defined two ways. You have justice in response to an injustice, and then you have justice that should balance the scales, which is equitable treatment. So we should be living in a world that's just, in a society that's just, the laws just, the lawmakers just. And so that means simply that there is justice in the land, that there's equitable treatment for everybody. Then when there is no justice, when the system fails, when there's an obvious uh, breach of justice, then there is a cry for justice, uh, which is open against the injustice. And so I just believe that uh, when I think of justice, uh, again, as I think of uh, as a pastor, uh, I, I, my life is lived by and guided by the word of God. 
Um, many people argue whether or not our laws um, have been linked to by the word of God, whether our forefathers um, peeled some of the commandments and some of the things that help us to deal with our interactions with each other. Um, because of so much injustice, uh, there's so many people who don't want to connect the word of God with our judicial system. But in the same breath, when we see our judicial system fail, somebody has to stand up and somebody has to call the question, uh, the injustice that is done. Uh, there's a verse in Proverbs, uh, you might know it, Proverbs 29, 7, that says the righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. And so um, when there is wickedness or injustice or when there is a lack of justice in, in the lawmaking systems of our uh, society, then it, it proves that proverb to be true, that there are people who are not concerned about equitable treatment. They're not concerned about uh, impartial treatment. They are, it's the battle of the, fit, the fittest and the majority rules. And so uh, I think a lot of that has been uh, historically a part of our existence here with the varied races, uh, with the inception of slavery and those type of things and some of the other um, peoples that have come to this nation that have been colonized even within our borders and used as labor force but not treated with equity. So I think those are the type of things that people at least need to be aware of and need to at least have some knowledge of so that we don't try to act like there is no injustice in our land and there's nothing that has birthed systemically. I wouldn't even go on to say that purposed systemically, but has evolved into some systemic type of um, uh, injustice that is now in the fiber of this nation. I've had my own encounters with injustice. I've had my own encounters with hate groups. I've had my own encounters on both sides where, um, you know, at one time I was very radical. And then there was a time where I ran into a, <laughs> a Klan rally. Um, I was confronted at the University of Tampa with a, a group of Klansmen that uh, ran me for over a mile. Uh, you know, I've been left on the street corners and well, the smell, the, the uh, heat of uh, Corinth, Mississippi, sweltering heat out there um, and the bus driver wouldn't pick me up because he said he doesn't pick up using the n-word on his bus and as a, a 18 year old kid i'm out there with my suitcase and waited another seven hours with just a dime in my pocket wow. uh, as people drove by and sneered and called me names and i drank colored water i've gone to the back of restaurants i've experienced the segregation and the injustice and the inequalities but i'm not bitter i'm better and uh, the reason I think I'm better is because uh, I had an encounter. Um, people question who God is nowadays and the impact that Christianity has on the society. But uh, <laughs> if people don't like me now, they would have hated me back then until I had an encounter with God. And he changed my way of thinking because God is a God, again, of justice. And he, he is fair to everyone. You know, our message is whosoever will, let him come. God loved the world, everybody in it. And so the scriptures teach that our message is not a prejudicial message. It's not a scrutinizing message. It's not an exclusive message. It's an inclusive message. 
And so God loves everybody. And now so do I. You know, that's powerful commentary, Bishop, because so often uh, when you, you hear um, uh, uh, what I, I hate to use this nomenclature, but a black preacher uh, because of anger, because of the encounters that you have mentioned, have a black theology, have a theology of reparation and a theology of of, of, of overcoming to the point where it's it's geared uh, not for everyone. Uh, it, it's yeah. preached like it's for everyone, but it, it has a specific uh, niche in mind. And, and so it's amazing that you talk about those encounters and, and your wisdom and your experience sometimes is not parallel with some of the people who are supposedly advocates for social justice because they haven't really experienced it and overcome it. I think the, uh, you know, most people write, you know, most black liberation preachers. And I believe that uh, Christ was a liberator. I believe that he came to set captives free, that he came to uh, heal all that oppressed of the enemy, of the devil. But uh, also we cannot continue as Christian pastors and as Christian leaders to operate from a victimization point of view, or uh, we can't be victims. We can't. We, we have to be victors. We have to see that uh, he's overcome the world. And uh, who is he that overcomes the world, even us, except he that believes that Jesus is the son of God. So this is the victor that overcomes the world, even our faith. So we overcome the world by faith. And so I can't live with the pain of the past. I have to forgive my enemies. I have to pray for them that despitefully use me. I have to get beyond that because my perspective is that if anybody be in Christ, they're new creatures. Old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. That doesn't mean that the injustices are still not there. That doesn't mean that there's no equity. That doesn't mean that we don't need to have a distribution of wealth and opportunities uh, for all people uh, in, in a society. That doesn't mean that uh, the, the um, 13th Amendment, the 14th Amendment shouldn't be upheld um, that the, the abolishment of slavery and that the um, the establishment of African-Americans as equal citizens in the United States of America, even though some states, even to this day, don't hold that to be true. But those things are real. I don't forget, but I forgive. And we can forgive and uh, not forget because there still needs to be racial equity. And that is fair treatment of all races, all people. But, uh, you know, specifically when you think about the African-American experience, it is different than any other because uh, brought into this country and, and um, forced into slavery. Uh, well, we, this nation is built on the backs and the blood and the sweat equity of people who um, were considered no people. You imagine to where laws have to be passed just to declare that a person is a human being and equal and fair. And those same laws and the same constitution says that. And then uh, individual states as a federation, individual states um, decide whether or not they want to uphold that constitution fully and completely. And in some areas of the country that are dominated by more intense um, racist and uh, most more intense uh, methods of injustice, uh, people are victims. And a lot of people are victims and they grew up under that and they're tired. They, they, they never been uh, reprim you know, they never had retribution. They never, uh, you know, reparations. And they, they were promised 40 acres of the mule. And, you know, got the land, but didn't get the mule. Got the mule, didn't get the land. 
and uh, others like uh, our Native Americans and, and other people's groups uh, get these privileges, even the Japanese after Hiroshima and all these different things, they've got all these privileges. But, you know, a lot of people say, hey, looking at the facts, we got nothing. And so they try to lead a people who aren't as astute, who still hurt, who still have the stripes, who still are poor, who still are impoverished, who still don't have equity. And they tend to lean toward a gospel that says that your oppressor is a human being. Your oppressor is a system. Your oppressor. Mm. But we teach and I preach that our oppressor is an enemy uh, called Satan, mm. called the devil, um, a spirit of wickedness that is found in individuals regardless of color, but also can make its way into systems and make its way into governmental powers and authority. The Bible calls them spiritual wickedness in high places, principalities and powers. You hear this phrase, speaking truth to power, that the prophetic voice is the one that stands up against the forces and the powers that may be unjust and say to them, justice must prevail. Declare to them that equality for everyone is what God commands and that we're all equal in his sight. You mentioned the Imago Dei the very image of God, man was made, man was made in God's likeness and in God's image and after God's similitude, man was, that from one blood made many nations. If you try to trace your roots and you wanna to go to Mississippi, you wanna to go to England, you wanna to go to Germany, wherever you think you're from, you go back to Adam mm -hmm. because in him, God created, he's the red man and that's what his name means. And so I consider myself a part of the human race. I consider myself, uh, a proud um, black man in this country. And I don't mean proud as in proud, say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud. But I heard somebody tell me the other day, this is Black History Month. And he said, all year they're black, but this month they're blackity black, black, black. <laughs> that, that there's just something and an awareness that says, I need to be reminded of our plight, of our uh, creative energies, the inventions and the things that have come from black people in this country against all odds, the things that have come as a result of black people living in this nation. And uh, we need to celebrate those things because so many people don't know the contributions that uh, black people have made, even with the injustices and even with the redlining, even with uh, the segregation, even with all of these things that even I lived through. In high school, I was a great student, right? But I remember flunking a test one time because I had a hand-me-down book. And uh, I just assumed that the answers in the book were right. And so I used those answers. But it looked like somebody deliberately put wrong answers there for somebody like me to pick it up and to uh, mess up. So I had hand-me-down books, pages missing and stuff like that. I, we, I went to high school, high school, the segregation. In my uh, sophomore year, there was forced integration in 1972. The next year was a disaster. Um, you know, so did I go off the university system, University of Tampa, predominantly white school, 35 black students, the Ivy League School of the South. I leave there and attend the University of Tennessee at Martin, only about five, 600 black students amongst thousands and thousands of white students. 
My first uh, roommate up there had never met a black person before in his life, had never had a black person come to his home, lived in uh, what was the headquarters of the Ku Klux Klan. I had the privilege of going to the house and going to a Klan rally, (laughs) to a picnic, you know? So I've seen some things and been through some stuff and through it all, I'm gonna say it one more time. I'm not bitter, I'm better. But it is my responsibility to speak truth to power. It's my responsibility to educate, to equip and to train other pastors and leaders that I lead to preach what is the unadulterated gospel, a pure gospel, a gospel gospel that is inclusive of all people and a gospel that makes out of two, one, where there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, bond nor free. We're all one in Christ. There is a kingdom that is of God. And then there is the rest of the world. And I have to learn how to walk in both, have dual citizenship to where I'm a faithful, committed citizen of the kingdom. And I'm a faithful, committed citizen of the United States of America. And some kind of way when those things collide or clash, I've got to believe that I'll have a balanced perspective perspective on it and I'm able to help somebody navigate it by example. So like for us, instead of complaining about unemployment, we employ people. I heard you say almost 200. We have right now employed 253 full-time people, 253. You know, uh, one of the largest uh, employers in the entire west side of Jacksonville. Instead of complaining about the educational system, have your own educational system. And so we begin our own academy in 1995, I graduated hundreds of students and have hundreds of students today. Perpetually, the school will be here, educating and training and equipping people, putting them in major universities all around the world, including HBCUs all over the United States of America. So you don't complain about that. Economics, that's what helps. You know, social injustice, people not having the ability to get jobs because maybe they were fairly, unduly or unfairly incarcerated. We hire them. 20%, 25% of our employment, uh, ex-felons. Uh, I won't call in the names, but ex-felons. Uh, people who have been in the judicial system, sometimes unfairly and sometimes justly. So in, in the same breath, we can't complain about something that we can do something about. And so poverty, we feed the hungry. We clothe the naked. We, we spend time in jails and prisons every day, practically. We do those things where... The people are who need a voice, somebody to speak up for them, but also somebody to put hands on them. Because a lot of people talk about justice and talk about uh, the ills of poverty and talk about the ills of uh, educational disparity, but they do nothing about it. And what we decided to do was to do something about it. That's the whole genesis of our ministry. We looked and we said, you know what? This is our call to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, visit the jails and the prisons, the hospitals, the nursing homes, take care of the widows and the orphans, the indigent, the outcast, the homeless, the needy. That's who Jesus came for. He's my perfect example. I love Dr. King, the greatest man. I mean, probably most impactful figure in, in U.S. history that walked these, the, these, these shores. And I, I love his messages. I love his method. I, I love everything about him. Glory to God. But Jesus is my ultimate example. And so I do what he did and I followed his footsteps. And Jesus had a major influence on the life of Dr. King. 
and you know his peaceful resolve to be able to deal with uh, the issues of segregation and unjust uh, practices and, and social inequality. I mean, the man was brilliant and, and we learned much from him and our kids and our kids' kids need to know of his legacy. And people who try to diminish it and people who try to uh, defame even any, any uh, great civil rights leader, period, black, white or otherwise, it's a shame. But that's the country that we live in, and those are the times we live in. And Mark, we can't change it. So we have to just build people who can balance and just do what they do, live their lives to the fullest, leave a legacy of peace and love and joy and, and need meeting, and let the chips fall where they may. Yes, sir. I, you've done a phenomenal job of helping us to understand these, these layers of racism, Bishop. You, you talked about the personal um uh racism with you know being chased by the ku klux klan you you talked about systemic racism and you, you talked about institutional and structural racism you also use some phrases and i want to ask you if there's some parallelism or if they are need to be compartmentalized social justice civil rights and racial equity are are, are, are these things linked in a certain way are they different how do we address them because a lot of times there's a spin and propaganda where the, the nomic or the names are changed, but you know, as they, they say, the names are changed, but the game has remained the same. But I, I think you got to look at it like it is. You, you're talking about three separate entities that deal with the same thing. We're talking about um, uh, injustice, and we're talking about justice and injustice. Social justice has to deal with, uh, in my understanding, distribution of wealth that, uh, and oftentimes it's uh, equated to and sometimes mistaken for socialism. And I think that when uh, the majority, when the bourgeoisie, he is the pro proletariat talking about equal distribution of wealth and opportunities for people uh, in a society, they go straight to socialism and, and they panic, they push the panic button because they're thinking that we're saying everybody should have the same amount, the same thing, but we live in a capitalistic society. So social justice has to deal with the distribution of wealth. Civil rights is a little different. It's, it's political. It, it deals with the person's political rights and freedoms uh, that are granted to them by the law. So when we talk about civil rights, we're talking about, I think I mentioned earlier, the 13th and the 14th Amendments, we're talking about the fact that slavery is ended, no more slavery. We're talking about we are equal citizens in this country, equal to everybody. So when there are civil issues, it's more political and more legal. Um, and then lastly, racial equality or a racial equity, I think you said. And I was a part of the Aspen Racial um, Equity Institute where I learned quite a bit a few years ago about racial equity or, or lack thereof in the United States of America. And that's just what's the different treatments uh, of the different races where we want racial equity. We want everybody, everyone to be treated the same way, regardless of race. So the use of interchangeably is, is not always proper, but to speak to them generally and dealing with injustices, it's, it's okay, especially if you're not one who's trying to defend yourself or one who uh, is suspect of people who thrive for 
and push for social justice or people who uh, act as civil rights activists or people who push for racial equity. All of those things have to be pushed for and be represented. And it really reveals the heart of an individual when they have a problem with one or the other because all three are necessary. And all three need to be manned by people who understand the times in which we live and have a proper perspective of history. And so when you have a whitewashed history or you have a history that's been tainted or when you have a history that hadn't even been exposed, um, that people are just not private to based on their own mm. small section of society and their own cultures, then you, you've got problems with these things. But these three things that you mentioned um, are needed right now, especially in light of everything that's going on, even in 2023 wow. in our nation, even uh, black on black, uh, white on white. Uh, we're not just talking about uh, injustices against black people when we talk about uh, racial equality. Uh, we're not talking about that when we're talking about um, civil rights, because that is justice for all. And uh, in particular, uh, civil rights deal with the minorities. I got that. I'm a civil rights activist. I believe that the marches are necessary. I believe that the uh, protests are often necessary. I believe that if you don't speak up, it's complicity and it's the same as being uh, guilty of the very crime itself. Somebody has to do it. Uh, everybody can't do it, but thank God that there are people that do, people that do risk their lives. It, it almost takes a spirit of martyrdom to uh, be a civil rights leader. I have, uh, I know the, the civil rights NAACP president uh, today, and uh, he called me before he took the position. And I said to him that you, you will put a bullseye on your back and on your chest. Uh, this is something that uh, healed the dial because this is uh, necessary, but it is very dangerous. And um, so, you know, I have to pastor people. I just can't get up every time there's an issue and go and march. I can't leave my assignment. But there are people who are designated to do that. And I'm grateful to God for them. And even over the years, even those who are yet alive, who marched through the civil rights issues of the 60s and, um, and got these amendments and, and um, amendments to amendments, uh, you know, because they stood up for something. And, uh, and I'm grateful to God for them. And I'm indebted to them. And I'll never forget them. Bishop, we, I, we totally appreciate that commentary as well because you kind of helped us to define social justice uh, in a way where we understand economic disparity and lack of distribution. You help us to define civil rights as political and social equality based on the laws and especially the Constitution, things that are, are supposed to frame how things and people are supposed to be treated. And, of course, racial equity as just maybe humanitarianism and how you just treat folks, you know, generally as a human being. So we we really appreciate that. Bishop, you know, uh, uh, as a mentor, you are definitely uh, my mentor and a mentor of many, uh, once again, uh, black preachers, uh, some of which who are a little angry, uh, a little, little frustrated, a little shaken by social media and social media propaganda, maybe on social media. How has it been or how how difficult is it to keep us balanced uh, from anger and as you said, not being bitter, 
but better. How difficult has that been in some of these times with some of the recent situations, especially since 2020? Well, every time there's a reoccurrence, every time it seems like there's healing, there's an occurrence that pulls the scab off the wound and it begins to bleed or ooze again. And it seems like, you know, people have told me, man, I thought it was better. I thought we had got beyond this. I thought this would never happen again, especially with the advent of social media and the cell phones and the videos and stuff that, and now the body cams on, let's say police officers and whatnot, and, and the type of um, public injustices that we've seen. Uh, you know, the type of things that we can watch live. And, uh, you know, and that, that thing burns, you know, it hurts, especially when you have a memory. And especially when you know what has already occurred in a country, in a land, in a place that uh, promotes itself to be uh, one nation under God, indivisible with liberty, uh, peace and justice for all, you know. Uh, it, it's amazing how that... Uh, the Constitution says that um, all men are created equal and so on and so on and so on. And so they pull these excerpts from these different writings and uh, different quotes and quips from people. And they, they use it as their mantra, mantra to try to live by in this country. And then something violates that. Then something happens. And then they take two steps forward and three steps backwards. And then we get right back where we were to begin with. And then we don't know what to do. And many people don't know what to do, you know, because they did that. They march, they do it peaceably, they protest, they sign petitions, they put people in political office, they, they change parties, they try to get on the bandwagon of who's just and who's right and, and all of this kind of stuff. And it still doesn't work. Yeah. And uh, again, I don't think that we're here to reconstruct the system. I don't think that, uh, honestly, that it's ever going to change by the efforts of man. Uh, as a gospel preacher, um, I believe that we do the best we can while we live. We give it our all. We spend our entire lives helping other people, uh, confronting the injustices and the things that are, um, that are happening in the land, and then we die. And I just believe that uh, when this is all over, that there is a land of equity. There is a land of justice. There is a land where rights are equal. There is a place that we all live eternally because our lives are but babies. We're here today and gone tomorrow, uh, the scripture says. And so while we're here, though, we must impact, yeah. leave an indelible mark on those things that we can control. There's certain things we can't control. So when I live my life, to the fullest, uh, altruistically, humanitarianly. When I live my life as a Christian, a rightly dividing the word of truth, not a store-bought Christian, not a Christian uh, Catholic, not a Christian Baptist, not a Christian Methodist, not a Christian, but as a follower of Christ, a disciple of Christ that understands his life and the word and how to apply the scriptures, not to just do what it says or understand what it says, but understand what it means. So many people say the Bible says, but they don't know what the Bible means. And so the Bible is sometimes um, beaten for no cause and, and utilized in a negative way and people use it against even Christians. But the word of God is pure, God is holy, it is God's truth. It just needs to be rightly divided. And when we live this word, mm -hmm. rightly dividing it, the word of truth, apply it to our lives, 
then we, we make a difference in the areas where we can make a difference. I've chosen to transform the west side of Jacksonville. I've chosen to come in and to fight um, drugs and to fight um, prostitution and to fight crime and to fight. I've chosen to do that where I live. And imagine if every real leader, faith leader or otherwise, would do something about the pathos and the vicissitudes that confront the people in their communities. Imagine what it would be like eventually as we bump into each other covering our city with whatever methods we use to bring about justice. Wow, wow. Bishop, you uh, you hit on a lot of things. You even talked about the reconstruction era. We talked about the abolishment of slavery, due process, voting rights, and all these things that it seems like outside of, of, of personal slavery, we're still fighting every day. And you mentioned that it may never go, but we do the best that we can while we're here and uh, just kind of figure out what it is God has purposed us to do in our little small spheres of influence. I've, 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 said, I've, said, that, I've said that many, 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 many times in many, many, many places and got great response by business leaders, world leaders, people around the country in Africa, Australia, different places. I've spoken to the parliament in Melbourne about uh, what we've been able, in Melbourne, Australia, about what we've been able to do here. They've read about us and sent for us. Uh, they read about us in a magazine, uh, Leadership Journal, uh, Christianity Today, uh, Ministry Today, Charisma, uh, the Wall Street Journal, those places that have done articles on us a church executive magazine, Onyx, all these different places. And I was in uh, Melbourne, Australia. They sent for me and just wanted to hear my heart. Uh, just wanted to hear uh, how to attack and how to approach the pain and the pathos of a community. How did we begin? How did we start? And it started with a burden. It started with a burden for the hurting, uh, burden for the, uh, the needy. And, and again, I hate to say it, that's social justice where you want to see equality, where you want to see a, a proper distribution that everybody gets a piece of the pie, opportunities for everybody. And so you got to have that. People, people cringe at the phrase social justice. They, they cringe um, when they hear people say that, especially when they are devoid or separated or it's not a part of their life. They're suburban. They're, they build a um, a moat around their homes and put a drawbridge and you can't approach them. Uh, churches have done it. They have moved to the suburbs and gotten away from the blight of the community, leaving a hole, leaving a hole right in the community. The same thing happened with white flight where people move to the suburbs, take the taxpayers dollars, take uh, their influence and, and build sub committees, sub communities all, all the way around and, and, and leave the hole where, where the urban blight is and leave urban blight to where there is nothing until gentrification takes place and they're able to come back and then buy cheaply what they left that they paid dearly for. And it's, it's, a, it's a cycle. It happens. It's going to continue to happen. And all we can do is be as impactful as we can and do what we know how to do to take care of those things that we can take care of. Bishop, I'm going to take a break from some of the serious questions. We've got a couple more before the hour ends. I am happy to join with you today in what will go down in history as the greatest demonstration for freedom in the history of our nation. 100 years later, 
The life of the Negro is still sadly crippled by the manacles of segregation and the chains of discrimination. One hundred years later, the Negro lives on a lonely island of poverty. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I want to bring you into a segment that we call I Say, You Say. I'm going to give you a word, small phrase, uh, and then you're just going to give me a sentence or two or a word that comes to your heart uh, when you hear the word that I say to you. And so this is just kind of it like a kid's game. But let's it, go is, it is, it is. It's a word game, but it just kind of takes the, the edge off a little bit. A couple more serious questions for you before the hour ends. So here we go. Ten, ten, ten. I say, you say phrases. Los Angeles Lakers. Need help. <laughs> Righteousness. Holiness. Marketplace. That's a ministry that the church needs to understand. Jesus' ministry was in the marketplace. He chose his disciples from the marketplace. There's no distinction between the marketplace and the church. The Jacksonville Jaguars. They're going to be the two bow champions this year. Heaven. Hell. Credit. Who? Credit. Spell it. C-R-E-D-I-T. Credit. Credit. Oh. Yeah, the credit score. Let me say credit score. Oh, credit score? Mine is 847. <laughs> University of Tampa. That's where I all started. That's my home. 401 West Kennedy Boulevard on the Tampa Bay. Gasparilla Day going down the stream. The end of times. Uh, Armageddon uh, getting near uh, the Battle of Battles, the return of Jesus Christ. Family. Love it. And this phrase, I need you to end this phrase. Hey, young black boy. Man, pull your pants up and be somebody. Respect your elders and stop acting the fool. Stay in school. Get an education. Don't complain about the system. Don't complain about who did what to you. Be your own man. Look up and live. Turn to God. Have somebody in your life greater than you, greater than your dad that might be in prison, greater than your mom that might be on the street, might be confused about her own sexual identity. Look up and live. God is the answer. Young man, you can live and not die. Awesome, awesome. Thank you, Bishop. This will be the day with all of God's children. Be able to sing with new meaning, my country tears of thee. Sweet land of liberty of thee I sing. Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. And if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. When we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty. Last couple of questions, Bishop, kind of get serious again. 
man, we had an issue incident in 2020 with George Floyd. Then we turn around in 2023, we have an issue in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, both of them, the articles called them racism. Uh, how do, what is the church? What does a general of the church say to someone who's trying to balance the social justice, the injustice, the, 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 the treatment of these two men that died at the hands of the same type of uh, a civic lead or civic worker, but one at the hands of some that were not of his persuasion or color. And then the others who seem to be of his same persuasion or color. What, what, do, what do we say? Well, I think it's pretty obvious that uh, we shouldn't make it a racial thing. I think it's pretty obvious that it is um, an individual uh, breakdown. Uh, there might be something systemically in local police forces because some police forces have reputations of um, not being able to hire the right people or quality people, or they may have a reputation of communities that have been segregated and they have to police the other communities and they bring their uh, racial practices with them. But I believe, generally speaking, overall, that our police force and all of the agencies that are uh, designed to protect us are by nature good and that these people get involved in here and these things in order to serve and protect. And uh, there are bad apples in every bunch. And I believe that is an individual thing. I don't believe that it is a system. I don't believe that the Memphis Police Department uh, is by nature wicked. I don't believe that the Minneapolis Police Department is by nature wicked. It, even though there have been incidents and proven incidents and things even in the past that may say contrary, but we've got to look at the totality of everything. We've got to see that obviously there's some things systematically wrong that's not just racially wrong, because the Memphis situation is black on black. Um, even the Minneapolis situation involved uh, minorities and uh, as well. So, you know, I, I, I don't look at it individually. I don't see it as um, some part of a big system of uh, wicked policing or civil service. And that's what's keeping us down and keeping this social injustice occurring over and over and over again. No, I, I see it as in, you have to judge everything individually. You have to judge the people individually. Uh, I've had some bad experiences with individuals in a company that wasn't bad. I've had some bad service from individuals who worked for a company that wasn't bad. And so uh, that's just my perspective. That's just the way I kind of see things. I, I don't I don't see it again as here we go again, as I do, I mean, as a nation, as I do, here we go again, as an individual has lost their beloved mind. So I see it individually and not collectively. Bishop, you mentioned Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and uh, uh, your appreciation for him and, and, and what he stood for and what he taught. There was something that was consistent on his lips throughout all of his speeches, the marches, uh, almost from day one. And it was something that was known as the beloved community. Do you believe that there's still a dream uh, for and is there hope for manifestation of the beloved community? I have a dream that all 
all God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, and one day join hands together and sing that old Negro spiritual. F anyway, no, Dr. <laughs> King, beloved community, uh, is the desire of God Himself that uh, we be one, that we can live together in harmony, that we can um, that we can care genuinely for each other and black, white, uh, red, brown, other, that we would not practice our prejudices, at least publicly, and uh, definitely not practice um, racism, period. But um, some things are done out of ignorance and some things are done maliciously. But I think it's all, like Paul said, I did them ignorantly in an unbelief. And I just believe that uh, we'll never, we'll never, see that fully, completely as a nation. And we're just too diverse. We're just too uh, separated. We're autonomous in our states and our cities and our counties and our hamlets and our countrysides. And we're, we're, shelled, we're kept from certain things. We don't, we don't even know. Many people wouldn't know what you're talking about, beloved community. But in the same breath, I believe that we won't see it until we get to heaven. And um, I, I really believe that, again, I'll say it one more time, we do the best we can with what we have, impact as many people as we can, love everybody, be inclusive in uh, our practices and our services to society, and believe that uh, we can make a difference and uh, continue to speak truth to power, uh, continue to be concerned about social injustices and never forget uh, our civil rights and never forget that uh, racial equity um, should be shared by all people and nobody should be treated wrongly because of their uh, color uh, and that crazy, the melanin in their skin or where they were born. And so um, yeah, that's how I look at it. I, you know, I don't, I don't think we're going to change everything. Uh, matter of fact, I think we'll get worse before it gets better. But uh, as a pastor, my message is the Lord is coming. You better be ready. You better. You know, Bishop, as my spiritual father, as my servant leader, uh, mentor, coach, all of those things that I need to manifest, we just want to thank you on behalf of my wife, who is a chief strategist for CARES Justice Institute, our board president, uh, the Honorable Judge Walter H. Rice. Uh, we just we just appreciate you. Your words of wisdom uh, move us forward because you're my overseer uh, as an honorary board member of CARES. Uh, many of the things that you've taught and said. Uh, has pushed us and helps us to progress because those are the words that we have hung our hats on and sat on the edge of our seats as the CARES Justice Institute uh, to, to fight against racism. And we believe as a statement of responsibility, Bishop, that uh, removing racist structures and cultures is not the responsibility of black people or people of color or any other minority growing up in communities that have historically been marginalized. We believe those who are non-black must listen to the lived experiences and voices of those individuals willing to share their plight as you did today. But it is not the job of the victimized and oppressed to dismantle the forces that have marginalized them and the communities. Rather, dismantling racism is the responsibility of all non-Black people in their own families, on their jobs, in their places of worship, and in their communities and marketplace. We, we just believe, Bishop, that we got to work together that is uh, the beloved community, Jews and Gentiles. Uh, as Dr. King said, we believe it's what you said. Every born person has a responsibility to do that, but we're going to have to have voices outside of our own. 
So, Bishop, we thank you. We love you. We appreciate you. Any last words before we let a man of your stature go? No. <laughs> I just appreciate being here. Appreciate anybody who would listen to this. Um, and my prayer is that no one uh, dissects, um, nobody takes one point that you may not agree with or one thought that you may uh, not embrace or think that I'm trying to indoctrinate anybody or persuade anyone to believe just like me. I believe that there is objective truth. I'm a biblicist and I believe that there is a word that we all, if we lived our life by, if we all had one pattern, one rule, one canon that we could live by, that life would be a whole lot better. That canon, that rule to me is the word of God. And so because of that, that my demeanor is like it is, I'm no longer a victim, I'm victorious. And my job is to now reconcile the world to God. That's all I want to say. Stay strong and uh, know that God loves you. And I do too. Well, Bishop, I love you. Uh, I, I, I want to say this. You've made a statement once before that you're more Christian than you are a black man. And I think that has been uh, a resounding statement for all those that claim the faith that helps us from being angry and bitter to being better and aggressive toward change that comes uh, based on the word of God. I think what I, what I actually said is that my Christianity trumps my nationality and my Christianity trumps my blackness. When there's a conflict between um, being black and being Christian, Christianity trumps it. And that's rightly divided. That is not cowering. That is not overlooking anything. That is just my core values are centered in my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and in the word of God. Thank you, Bishop. Uh, for everyone, this has been a Who Cares About Justice broadcast. This is your host, the formerly incarcerated professional, Mark C. McGuire Sr. And we've had a tremendous guest, our honorary board member and great man of God, uh, community activist, as you heard, but most of all, uh, a man who lives by his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are so thankful for Bishop Dr. Von M. McLaughlin today. We're signing off. This is Who Cares About Justice podcast. We'll be back next month with a great guest and believe us and believe him that truth will prevail. And eventually, eventually, if you put your trust in the right place, you will see that beloved community. Uh, we want to wish you a great month, Black History Month, where we celebrate all of the advancements and the contributions of Black and people of color, uh, the contributions that they've made to this great country. And we want to celebrate that not only in February, but every day of, the, of our lives. But we most want to celebrate the reason for our existence, and that's God himself. Remember, the Imago Day is in you. Let somebody help bring it out. Breathe and be. God bless you. Peace.